Well, hello again. It's a lovely summer's evening here. Quite windy, but really quite beautiful. I was just looking, as I had a cup of coffee, uh, at two butterflies. Nothing very exotic, just the commoner garden cabbage white butterflies. I'm always amazed when they come into the garden and uh, they seem to be together and then suddenly one will go away off and down over the hedge and into another field and eventually they all come back together and then the two will stay around for a while then one will go off and then again it's wonderful God's creation uh, we have a little trough in the garden where birds come and get some water and I'm amazed at some of these little bees. And they arrive at the trough and uh, they just get to the edge of the water and lean over. Sometimes I think they're going to fall in. And uh, then they stick the little tongue out and they drink some water. Just a few sips and then away they go. Isn't it marvellous? And uh, You know the hive is probably a half a mile, three quarters of a mile away. And yet they can find their way back to this little trough to have a little drink. And talking about uh, animals and God's creation and birds and things, I see from reports that some countries are still having what is being described as locust swarms of biblical proportions. And also some areas are being affected by swarms of bats. So uh, it's all very strange, some of these huge swarms of locusts especially. But this morning we will put that aside for a while as we have come to a very exciting section of the book of Joel. A time of amazing prophecy. Sadly, most people don't seem to believe in some of these prophecies in the word of God. But first, we will read the first portion of Joel, chapter 3. For behold, and I'm reading this from the Amplified, for behold, in those days and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. And there we have a promise from God right at the start of chapter 3, that he will bring again Judah and Jerusalem and uh, Israel back into favor with him. And I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. When is this going to happen? When? In those days. And in that time. When will that be? During the events of the coming day of the Lord. Which uh, will soon take place we believe. We spoke about this event. Our Lord visibly ushering in the day of the Lord by setting his feet on the Mount of Olives at the end of the Great Tribulation. 
fulfilling the prophecy of the two angels to his disciples at his ascension. His coming is confirmed with many amazing signs and wonders as we read in Zechariah 14 and elsewhere in Scripture. And so we'll carry on and read verse uh, chapter one, uh, chapter three, and verse one, and we'll read the first half of this chapter. When I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather together all the Gentile nations and bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. Meaning the Lord has judged. No one uh, actually can figure out where the valley of Jehoshaphat is in Israel. But it is felt by some that when our Lord places his feet on the Mount of Olives, a large plain of land will uh, stretch out before him. The mountain will split open and this will be formed and a river flowing through it. And that may be where this will take place. But from our point of view, it just takes it's at the valley of Jehoshaphat. And there I will deal with them and enter into judgment with them there for their treatment of my people, my inheritance, Israel whom they have scattered among the nations, and because they have encroached on my land and divided it up, they have also cast lots for my people, and have traded a boy for a prostitute, and have sold a girl for wine, which they may drink. Moreover, what are you to me, O Tyre and Sidon, for all the five small regions of Philistia. Will you pay me back for something I have supposedly done to you? Even if you do pay me back, I will swiftly and speedily return your deed of retaliation on your own head. Because you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried my precious treasures to your temples and palaces, and have sold the children of Judah and the children of Jerusalem to the Greeks, so that you may send them far away from their territory. Behold, I am going to stir them up from the place where you have sold them, and return them to their land. And I shall return your action of retaliation on your own head. Alas, I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the children of Judah. And they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a distant nation. For the Lord has spoken. And then again we have the Lord speaking again. He says, Proclaim this among the the pagan nations. Prepare for a war. Stir up the mighty men. Let all the men of war come near 
Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. And Joel inserts his own uh, prayer here. Hurry and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves here. Bring down, O Lord, your mighty ones, your warriors. Then we have the Lord speaking. Let the nations be stirred to action and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge and punish all the surrounding nations. The Lord to the judgment of to the hosts. Put in the sickle of judgment for the harvest is ripe. Come, tread the grapes for the wine press is full. The vats overflow for the wickedness of the people is great. And Joel watches and sees what is happening. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, the valley of judgment. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision, when judgment is executed. The sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars lose their brightness. The Lord thunders and roars from Zion, and utters his voice from Jerusalem in judgment of his enemies. Could you imagine? The Lord thundering and roaring out of Zion, out of Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth tremble and shudder. But the Lord is a refuge for his people and a stronghold of protection to the children of Israel. Then you will know and understand fully that I am the Lord your God, speaking to Israel, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then Jerusalem will be holy, and strangers who do not belong will no longer pass through it. And we'll just stop there. But you know something? Most people do not believe these simple words from God. What he is going to do in the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, last week I mentioned that we would look at the fact that Israel is never included among the nations by God. Mainly, I believe, because they were God's chosen people, separate and separated and sanctified, separated from God. And more importantly, they still are. A fact we must realize. They are God's elect. Numbers 23, verse 9, we mentioned it last week. For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I beheld him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone 
and shall not be reckoned among the nations. Numbers 23 and verse 9 For from the top of the rocks I see him and from the hills I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. And that's why God in places like Joshua 23 and verse 7 say that ye come not among these nations these that remain among you neither make mention of the name of their gods nor cause to swear by them neither serve them nor bow yourselves down unto them that's the way it should be with us and the world we should be separated and separate from the world not isolated but insulated from the world I also believe that the vast majority of all mainstream, mainstream churches do not believe this simple fact. They teach that God is finished with Israel and that any promises made by God to Israel have been transferred to the churches in their various beliefs. Well, I don't know, but you look around churches today, they have a nerve to even suggest that but that is their idea because of this erroneous doctrine they now have to exclude Israel from the many still unfulfilled prophecies and teach that these have now to be fulfilled in the churches thereby accusing God of welshing on Israel. Believing this erroneous doctrine results in some strange ideas rather than accepting the simple eternal promises of God in relation to Israel. They are his and always will be his chosen people. So because of this replacement theology they find it impossible to accept the simple explanation of the sheep and the goats. That is that those who had mistreated our Lord's brethren Israel will be harshly judged by our Lord. The Bible also teaches that all Christians will appear before the judgment seat of Christ in heaven after the rapture of the church during the great tribulation is when it is taking place on earth. A simple truth taught by Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, we must be conscious always when reading the scriptures to whom these verses are addressed. They're not addressed to the whole world. They're not addressed to everybody in every church. They are addressed to Christians, believers in Christ. 
for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We will go before the judgment seat of Christ when we, the rapture of the church, will have taken place. The true believers will have gone to the sky and met the Lord in the air and then so shall we ever be with the Lord. Judgment seat of Christ will take place. Look at 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 11 explaining what the judgment seat of Christ is all about. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Talking about how we build our lives as Christians. And we must start off on the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's just as I was saying. Only true believers will go in the rapture of the church. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, while here on earth and living in the churches, living in our daily routine of life, we must build on this foundation. If we build gold, silver, or precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble. Just six types of various things that they have just put in here. Either we will produce something gold or silver or precious stones worth something in the eyes of God. Or we can produce wood, hay or stubble. Every man's work shall be made manifest. It will be shown at the judgment seat of Christ. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And they show the way, a picture of how our works will be judged. Every man's work shall be made manifest. Man's work will be judged by fire. It will be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. If we have built of wood, hay and stubble, we'll be left with a lot of ashes. However, if we have built things which are represented as gold and silver and precious stones, the fire will have even made those things better. All the dross will be burnt away. But if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. Sad words, those. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not 
that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? A very serious question. Know ye not? Be sure that we remember that ye are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in each believer. And then in Romans 14 verse 10 But why dost thou judge thy brother or why dost thou set at naught thy brother talking about having uh, problems in the church and what had happened he says we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ we will be judged for our works as to how we treated people in our churches and elsewhere you know we used to sing a little chorus when we were kids we are building day by day in our work and in our play not with hammer blow and blow not with timber sawing so building a house not made with hands following Jesus perfect plans little builders all are we building for eternity how true but this truth now, the judgment seat of Christ, uh, has been assigned by many Christians to the final judgment at the great white throne, along with the judging of the nations, which has also been allotted the same fate. So we are putting everything into the judgment of the great white at the great white throne. Now, what is the meaning of the parable of the sheep and the goats? And does it fit into a general resurrection uh, pattern? Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. Matthew 25 and verses 31 to 46. Now we will look at and seek to discover what is the recognized explanation of this parable in most churches. And we will look at three people. You may not know any of them. But I will tell you that each one in the field of commentating on the Bible are well known in many cases. A man called John, John Gill, a man called Matthew Henry, and probably the best known of these, Charles Hazen Spurgeon. We start off with John Gill. And he's talking about the parable of the sheep and the goats. Not anything else. All sorts of Christian professors. This account of the last judgment 
only concerns them. For though all men that ever have been are or shall be in every nation under heaven, from Adam to the last man that will be born will be judged, yet the part of it here described, though it gives a general and lively idea of the whole, only regards the judgment and final state of such who have made a profession of the Christian religion. He goes on, Then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, or glorious throne, upon the clouds of heaven. This throne, where Jesus is going to judge, is upon the clouds of heaven, where he will sit as judge and be visible to all. Amazing. We're all going to see according to him. Everybody will see Jesus sitting on a cloud judging the people. Now Matthew Henry may be a little bit easier to understand. I'm not too sure. We have here a description of the process of the last judgment in the great day. When the Son of Man shall come, observe here there, that there is a judgment to come in which every man shall be sentenced to a state of everlasting happiness or misery in a world of recompense and retribution. According to what he did in this world of trial and probation, which is to be judged of by the rule of the everlasting gospel. When Christ comes in his glory to judge the world, he will bring all his holy angels with him. This glorious person will have a glorious retinue, his holy myriads, who will not be only his attendants, but ministers of justice. They shall come with him both for state and service. They must come to call the court, to call the elect, to bundle the tares, to be witnesses to the saints' glory and of sinners' misery. So that is Matthew Henry's idea of what will happen at the judgment of the nations. And so we come to Charles Haddon Spurgeon. In the last day of the Lord, all nations that have ever existed on the face of the globe shall be gathered before the judgment seat of Christ. The earth, which is now becoming more and more one vast graveyard, shall yield up her dead, and the sea itself, transformed into a solid pavement, shall bear upon its bosom the millions who lie hidden in its gloomy caverns. All mankind will be assembled before their judge, 
and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall fail because of him. At first they will be gathered together in one heterogeneous mass, but the myriad multitude will speedily be divided into two companies, and then he shall separate them one from another. And that of those three people, John Gill, Matthew Henry, and Charles Hatton Spurgeon's comments on the parable of the sheep and the goats. So what we will do, we will look at this passage and see what we can discover. I know that perhaps many may not agree with our simple explanation, but may God help us. Now, for a moment, we'll turn the clock forward about 800 years or so to Matthew chapter 25, and we will read from 31 to 46 in the King James Version. Now, I want to read this over very carefully, honestly, and factually. It is probably one of the most poorly explained passages of Scripture you will find anywhere. If you look at what people believe about this passage of Scripture you'll find that it is most poorly explained by most people. And so, verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divided his sheep from the goats and he shall set the sheep on his right hand but the goats on the left Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in naked and you clothed me I was sick and ye visited me I was in prison and ye came unto me then shall the righteous answer him saying Lord 
When saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? The king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then he shall say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was unhungered, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. I was naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee unhungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then he shall say unto them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did not to one of these, and he calls them above the least of his brethren, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So let us go over what we have read. We will compare it to the passage in Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. The great white throne judgment, which our three commentators have said this passage is the same. Revelation 20 and verse 11 And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whence the face whose face the earth and heaven fled away and there was found no place for them and I saw the dead small and great stand before God and the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works and the sea gave up the dead which was which were in it 
and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them and they were judged every man according to their works and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire this is the second death and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire and that is the judgment of the great white throne and so we have here these two examples we have the sheep and the goats and the great white throne which was they say the last day the great day of resurrection look at the sheep and the goats there's no resurrection and even if there wasn't a resurrection it's not a general resurrection they claim the great white throne judgment is a resurrection a general resurrection there's no resurrection at all in the sheep and the goats general or otherwise the great white throne judgment everybody is being judged at the sheep and the goats there are the sheep and the goats but there's also a third party a third party my brethren and he is judging the sheep and the goats as to how they treated the third party my brethren in the sheep and the goats everybody's alive there's nobody dead the great white throne judgment all are dead physically and spiritually at the great white throne judgment where did they take place where did they well on earth the sheep and the goats took place on earth on the valley of Jehoshaphat or some other valley in Jerusalem where will the great white throne judgment take place it will be take place after the thousand year millennium and sometime later not on a cloud not on a cloud as our dear friend uh, thought that Jesus would be sitting on a cloud as he judged the nations who are being judged who are being judged the Gentile nations are being judged the great white throne who are being judged the dead they have been in the torments for years and now they are being exposed to the judgment of the great white throne 
in the sheep and the goats. No books were opened. No books were opened. In the great white throne, the books were opened, and those were judged according to what was written in the books. And if your name was not written in the book of life, you were cast into hell. The sheep and the goats, the quick, those alive were being judged in the great white throne and the dead. They were being judged, the dead, at the great white throne judgment. And so we must be very careful how we take people's word as to when things are happening and when they will happen and all. Just go by scripture and take the simple simplicity of the word of God rather than make it into some very complicated uh, series of events when scripture makes it all so terribly clear. Jesus said, He that believeth on me shall never die and shall not come into judgment. And we have passed from death unto life. So we will never appear at the great white throne judgment. But these three gentlemen have accused and mixed it all so much that they really don't know where they stand. They, they mix up the judgment seat of Christ with the judgment of the great white throne and elsewhere. May God help us as we go through this final stages of the book of Joel that he will give us the knowledge and the strength to go ahead and say what we believe about the word of God. How Paul grieved over those uh, Christians. He said, I, I grieve for you, for you, the simplicity of the gospel has been taken away. And we are left instead with complicated rules and regulations. And he says, and if anyone comes with another gospel, what is happening is that you don't stand up to the simplicity of the word of God. And that's what Paul grieved over these people and prayed that they would not fall into the hands of people with difficult, unbelievable, alleged truths of Scripture. May we keep our beliefs simple and our faith simple and trust in God simple for his name's sake. Amen.